Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. Randy Singer. He is a veterinarian and epidemiologist for the University of Minnesota. Good to see you, Randy. Nice to see you, too. Now, Randy, uh, there's a lot of talk in the poultry industry uh, about antibiotics. Should you use them? Should you not use them? Maybe you should use them partially. But what seems to be lost in the discussion is the whole thing that started it in the first place, and that's the concern about antibiotic resistance, not just within the animals themselves, but that possibility of a transfer of resistance to human medicine. Uh, you spent a good part of your career looking at just that. Um, what have you observed? Well, over time, what we've seen is that some of the antibiotics that are used in human medicine have become less effective against bacteria, some of which may be derived from animal populations. So there is just a broad concern uh, in all aspects of One Health, animal health, human health, and environmental health, that the amount and diversity of resistance that we are seeing is on the increase and has been for many years. And because of that, we need to look for as many uh, interventions as possible to try to reduce that level of resistance to stop that, that augmentation. And so it really, requires a concerted effort in all of the health sectors to combat this really global complex problem. Yeah, because there's a lot of finger pointing at poultry and swine, cattle, dairy, but a lot of it starts in human medicine, doesn't it? Well, it does. Um, again, if we try to partition who's to blame, we, we end up right back in that, that, that cycle again. What I would prefer, and I'm, I'm part of various One Health type activities where we work with our human medical colleagues to find solutions for this problem that affects all animal populations, whether they be human or agricultural or even companion animal. Um, changing how we use antibiotics, the amounts that we use, the, the types of antibiotics that we use is an important concept in all of these fields, but that's only one piece of it. Really working on uh, disease prevention, management strategies that might reduce the incidence of disease, which would then obviate the need for antibiotics in the first place. Those are some critical pieces that we can do better on in animal agriculture. Now, I think a lot of people in the poultry industry might push back and say, well, wait a minute, about 80, 85% of the antibiotics used by the U.S. poultry industry are not even used in human medicine. They're ionophores and other types of antibiotics. Is, is that still a concern? Well, it is. I mean, for me, it's very unfortunate that the United States labeled the ionophores, which are, here we're talking about a coccidiostat, is labeled as an antibiotic as if it were against a bacterial infection. Uh, that isn't the case in many other parts of the world. So what has happened is if you want to raise animals, no antibiotics ever. You can't use ionophores either. And that's really an unfortunate thing because the sequela to a, a, a coccidiosis break followed by necrotic enteritis then necessitates the use of an antibiotic at treatment levels. So, but there are other antibiotics that still do have a counterpart in human medicine. Many companies have eliminated their medically important antimicrobials. But even still, there is the possibility that if you use an antibiotic with no human analog, that it still could augment resistance to a medically important compound through these complex genetic arrangements that the bacteria have. I mean, the bacteria do incredible things. They are always one step ahead of us. And so trying to predict how any of our 
uses of an antibiotic or even metals or other disinfectants might influence antibiotic resistance is a serious challenge. But it seems that a lot of people outside the industry confuse growth promotion, which can be a kind of a side benefit of antibiotic use, uh, with preventing disease. What's been your experience? Well, that is definitely the case. You know, FDA took it action in, um, in eliminating the medically important growth promoters. That it was a first step. Um, there is confusion, and in part that's because some of the antibiotics that you might use for disease prevention have dose ranges that overlap what used to be there for the growth promotion antibiotics. Um, the difference is that with these changes made by FDA, I really do believe that there has been a dramatic improvement in overall stewardship. The veterinarian now is playing a major role, the lead role in antibiotic decision making. There has been a serious reevaluation of the antibiotic uses in every company I work with. Uh, should we continue doing what we've always done or do we need to reevaluate and see if it's still as effective? And is it in the best interest for animal health and human health? Those kinds of thought processes have been, in my opinion, a result of these FDA changes, and that's a huge benefit. So when it comes to disease prevention, I would like to see that option available for the veterinarian to figure out the best way to prevent diseases from occurring. I'm hoping that the veterinarian is using their training, their sound judgment on knowledge of health and disease to make those decisions. But if that is a route for preventing disease that might then necessitate an antibiotic, then uh, by all means, that should be on the table as an option. Now that is debated globally, for sure. Now, but you have a disease like coccidiosis. I mean, it's been said where there's poultry, there's coccidiosis all around the world. Uh, so you know that it's going to be an issue if you're raising poultry. Um, so that's a situation where if you were using an ionophore, it would be prevention. I mean, is that judicious use in your mind? The ionophores are a different beast in a way. Um, the ionophores, as we use them against coccidia, don't even have any known resistance mechanisms that would be important for treatment failure to a bacterial, uh, antibacterial. So the way in which we use them, that, that is a, a judicious use. And it, to me, again, is a, it's a little bit sad that we don't get to use those even if you are in a no antibiotics ever program. Uh, there are other drugs that might even be considered medically important that you could use to prevent necrotic enteritis. And those drugs, and I, the veterinarian making the decision to use them in a disease prevention manner, needs to carefully weigh what they know about the disease and the history of that flock or that farm, and is, does it make sense for me to use a valuable antibacterial uh, for a disease that hasn't yet manifested? And again, I'm relying on veterinarians making good decisions if they choose to use an antibiotic for that purpose. But I guess, as, as you pointed to earlier, sometimes an ounce of prevention can uh, beat a, a pound of cure because if, if you don't prevent the disease and you might be in a situation where you really have to assault the bug with maybe a medically important antibiotic. And that is definitely an option. I, you know, there are companies though who have chosen to go completely away from antibiotics except when needed for treatment. Mm -hmm. And it has taken a while for them to get to a good steady state where they're treating very few flocks, but they've made it work for them. But I don't think there's any one right approach. This is why the veterinarian gets to use their medical training to make the decision of what's best for their birds. And uh, whether it's no antibiotics ever and treatment when needed, if it's trying to prevent disease, 
hopefully resulting in even fewer treatments needed. There's a variety of approaches to maintaining health and ensuring a uh, wholesome and healthy food supply. So what's your role in all of this, Randy? I know that you've been looking at antibiotics for a long time, but uh, tell us about some of the projects that you're working sure. on and how they might benefit the poultry industry. One major project that we're working on right now across the entire industry, and that's for broiler turkey and layer, is to get quantifiable estimates of how antibiotics have been used on farm over the past, let's say, five years. Um, we don't have good quantified estimates of which antibiotics were used and how much and for what purpose. We get these estimates based on what total volume, total tonnage of antibiotic might be used in agriculture. But what we need in order to really understand why we're using these antibiotics and for what indications and in what amounts is actual on-farm estimates. So one major project and these poultry companies know because they hear from me constantly, um, really bugging them to get me data, is to get these estimates of on-farm usage. It isn't so easy going retrospective because we weren't always collecting these data, but going forward, again, a, a benefit of this FDA change is many of the companies now have much better data capture systems and are recording the ways in which they're using antibiotics. But collecting antibiotic use on its own is to me a little bit out of context. The reason we are concerned about the antibiotic use is because of resistance. What I don't see as much of are good data sets that link which antibiotics were being used and what are the resistance profiles from the same farms at the same time. So I do have a program, I work with many of the broiler companies on longitudinally uh, collecting their antibiotic use data and, and looking at antibiotic resistance in some key target bacteria like Salmonella and Campylobacter to understand that relationship of use and resistance. It is expensive, it's time consuming, and we don't really have a great funding model for that kind of a monitoring system, but in my opinion, that is really what we need to make these data, I guess, put them into better context pretty much the price of admission if we want to keep using antibiotics judiciously, I would right. think. Right, I think so, absolutely. Okay. Excellent. We've been talking to Dr. Randy Singer. He is a veterinarian and epidemiologist at the University of Minnesota. Randy, thank you again. Hey, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.